Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4 as we continue through um, 2 Kings and what the Holy Spirit is doing. I'd like to remind you as we closed in our last lesson, I want to do like a little bit of a contrast. If you remember, the three kings had joined together. Jehoram, who is the uh, king of the um, northern tribes, Ahab's son, and Jehoshaphat, who is uh, the king of the southern tribe, and then they brought in the king of Edom because Moab has, uh, Mesa, uh, king of Moab, had rebelled against the northern tribe when Ahab died. And it had been two years, because if you remember, Ahaziah took it first. He lasted about two years. He fell through the lattice. He died. And then Jehoram, Ahab's other son, becomes king. But as we close, they had, God had gave them the victory. Now, now pay attention, because really, I don't think Jehoshaphat should have ever tried to have been with Jehoram. Because the northern tribes are totally apostate. They're worshiping golden calves. And Jehoshaphat keeps trying to reconcile with them when in fact he should not be having fellowship with anybody that's apostate and not serving God properly. Uh, and sometimes we see that in the church today where people who know the word of God will turn their hearts to try to reconcile people who are twisting the word of God and they'll say, oh, we just have to have unity for the sake of unity. We have to come together because Christ prayed for unity. Well, Christ prayed for unity in the body of Christ. Christ prayed for unity in his house, not in an apostate house. He doesn't want us to be unified with apostasy or with the world. He wants them to come to him and obey as he has called them to obey. So what we had was... Um, the king of Moab, when he was losing and the battle was fierce, he took 700 men and tried to escape, and that didn't work. So he turned around and he sacrificed the heir of his throne, his oldest son, on the wall to his god Chemosh, the 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 uh, uh, Moabite's god. The uh, you, you will read about that in chapter 23. Uh, they tell us about the abomination of the Moabites. And he sacrifices him on the wall. And, and there was great indignation among Israel. It says against Israel, but I believe the word can be translated among. And I think when Israel seen them sacrifice a human on the wall to try to win a war, that among them there was indignation and they just left. They just left. They said, this is, this is horrible. And we see this in the world today. We see the world, and even now the church, joining the world and believing the same thing, that we can sacrifice children. We can sacrifice the doctrine and the word of God in order to have peace, in order to get along and get together. We see this horrible thing going on where they're aborting babies, where they're sacrificing lives, just to bring people together, but we have a huge contrast as we enter into chapter 4. We see a God of life, a God who protects, a God who's taken care of, a God who has is, is got order in what he does, and we see him take care of widows and children. 
He doesn't sacrifice widows and children to a wall, to a false god. And so I see a huge contrast in what's going on. The other thing we might look at and see is that Elisha now, we're going to see four miracles that are done in the life of Elisha, which kind of parallel or overshadow Elijah, who did miracles. And these are kind of more powerful almost, or more, more, there's more content to it. I don't even know how to say it. But we know that he asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And then God uses him. But it's interesting as you watch, it's not the way you would think. It's not the way you see on TV today, where the faith healers are somebody doing their ministry. Everything is drawn to them, and, and they are touching people and everything. See, in the Bible, we see the truth of who's doing the miracle. This first miracle that we're going to see with the, the, the widow woman and her sons, Elisha is not even there. Elisha just is instructing her what to do. And it really gives you and I this anti-type of, of, of God, is, God is here. We don't see him. His word instructs us in what to do. And if we follow it, we will be blessed. We'll be taken care of. Our debt will be forgiven, if you will. Now notice, because in this, in this beautiful story of life, this miracle that God is doing, the prophet Old Testament is where the Word of God would come from. See, Hebrews 1 1. We were just in Hebrews a while ago. In past times, in divers' manners, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, He speaks through His Son. Right? So the prophet is where the Word of God would come from, the instruction of God would come from. And so what we see here in chapter 4 as we open it, the first miracle is going to be um, God is going to use oil in an empty vessel to save women and children if they obey the word. You get it? See, because in the New Testament, God takes us as empty vessels and he puts oil into us, which is the Holy Spirit, and he saves us if we obey the word of God. There's instruction there. And this is in the text that we're looking at, Old Testament. There's a woman... And she's buried, she has fruit in her life. And the word of God tells her what to do to be forgiven of her debt and to go on and live the rest of her life and rest. Okay? So let's enter into that. And I'll try to make some comments. I got a few notes that just that just blow my brain away. And if I get to them, I get to them. If I don't, we'll just do what the Spirit shows us here. Uh, a certain woman, 4-1 of Second Kings, so we have a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now notice this. She's crying out. She streets. Uh, Elijah means the Lord is God, but Elisha means God is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. Okay? Think about that for a minute because with Elisha, and you're crying out, you're crying out to be saved, to be delivered, and to have safety from what's going on in your life. And what did she say? Saying, your servant, my husband, is dead. And the word dead there means very suddenly dead. In other words, it was really quick. It wasn't like they had time to plan. They didn't get to do all the stuff they needed to do and, and, and be ready for it. It was just all of a sudden he was dead. Very suddenly dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord 
and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Now notice, the creditor, the one that's owed, is coming to take. God gives. Death always takes. God gives. Life gives, and death takes. Servants of God that are faithful are always giving. Servants that only want for themselves, they're always taking. What can I get out of this? That's flesh. That's death culture. We want to be giving the gospel. We want to be giving to those who need. We're always giving, but we're always giving of the Spirit and in the Spirit and of the manifold grace of God. Anything else is flesh. Anything else is religion. Make sure it's done in giving of life. That's how you know when you're living in death culture, when you're practicing, when you're supporting death culture, when you see it taking. What can I get out of it? Listen, we're to give ourselves away. That's what the Son of Man did. That's what Jesus did. He had everything. He came and gave himself away. He shares his inheritance with us. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. All we need to do is surrender as empty vessels and allow the oil to be poured in and then come out and gush out on other people. This is a, a picture of the Holy Spirit in vessels, oil. Now, um, the debtor, according to the law, was allowed to come and take the sons, was allowed to come and take the dad if he would have been alive, if he owed the money. And, and, and this is something that was allowed by law that you would become an indentured servant, is what we call it, or a bond slave that would work off your debt and you would be released in the year of Jubilee. Every seven years, there would be a release. That God set up a release where everybody would get everything back and you get a do-over. That's something that God had set up. In, uh, and so you learn to do it right the next time. If they came and they took your land or they took your, it, it would be according to the debt and how many years there was till Jubilee was up is how much it would be worth to you. So let's look though. I want a couple things I want to point out. They're very important. Notice what she says and you'll notice her heart and the way she lives and that she was trained well by her husband because the two became one. Listen to me. Because last chapter, or maybe the chapter before, we had sons of the prophets, and we had rehearsed that. These guys didn't know what they were doing. Remember when uh, uh, Elijah, Elisha was following Elijah? And they were, they were telling the message, but they didn't really believe the message because later they wanted to hunt for the body of Elijah, but they had already knew the truth that he was going to be gone. So we said there was something wrong with him. Now, we're given some specific information about this son of the prophet that he feared God. And that Elijah knew that, so, or excuse me, Elisha. So Elisha had a relationship with this guy. He knew who he was and knew that he really feared God and that he wasn't a false son of the prophets. But notice what it says and she says so you can see her heart. The words are very important. Your servant, my husband, is dead. Anybody see what I'm talking about there? See, my wife knows that I'm a servant of God before I'm her husband. This wife knew that God come before her. And she's saying it to Elijah, that you know that my husband dedicated his life to God, and he was feared God, he's doing what he's supposed to do with God, and he put things in the correct order in life. But he's suddenly dead, so this has not escaped the sight of God. God knows that he's dead. And he says, your servant and my husband, God first, 
then my husband, my covering. I think that's very important that we understand that God has an order and God has a place for everything. And that's where we get out of order in the first place and things get twisted when we don't follow God's order, God's covering, God's laws that he has placed. Whether we're under the law or not, he's placed specific laws that work. The law of sowing and reaping is real. And if you sow to the wind and do whatever you want and say, I'm saved, you'll reap the whirlwind. God is not to be mocked. We're supposed to do it according to God's word. And that's how you learn a relationship with God. So you can know the answers. We talked about this. Listen to me. You can read this book. You can learn it. You can say, I know the answers. But that doesn't give you wisdom. You might have knowledge, but wisdom and faith comes in the relationship. When you sit down and you build this relationship, this love relationship with God. See, I said early on in our marriage 23 years ago, I love you. And I had no idea what love was. But we have grown more and more in love every day through the, through the pain, through the heartaches, through the suffering, through the, through the good things too. But I'm just mentioning to you that those things happen in marriage. And God has grown us in love. It's the same thing with God and God first when you come boldly to the throne of grace. When you spend time with God, when you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. When you believe in the blood of Jesus, the spirit of God, the oil pours in to your empty vessel and you build a love relationship. And when I first got saved, you know what? The love wasn't the same. Oh, you know, you say that. Oh, I just love God. He's taking care of me. And, but you don't understand it. You don't understand the grace of God and the love of God and the inheritance. But that spirit is upon you to help you to feel peace. Right? And then you begin to grow. See, when I first got saved, part of it was just I was, didn't want to go to hell. I was afraid of going to hell. I was like, okay, that's free stuff there. I ain't going to hell. So then your fear changes to a reverence, to a love to a awe, to a privilege, to a Lord, I want to be faithful. What did you call me to do? See, I want to be faithful to my wife because we've grown in love. But I want to, the same thing is with God. He's the first example. I want to be faithful to God as a servant in his house because of the love that he first showed me. And that should be our motivating factor to be intentional, to beat our body into subjection, to get into the word of God because we're growing now. And we're learning that it was his goodness that brings us to repentance, not his, you're going to hell. No, it's his goodness that he loved us and died for us even while we were yet sinners. He came and died. Even for those who are not going to ever receive him, he died. Remember, we looked at that, Revelation 3, 5. That everybody, I believe, at the beginning of everything, because God will he wanted everybody to be saved. He wrote everybody's name down in his invitation book. That's what the word consider means, too. It's an invitation. He wrote everybody's name down. And he invited them. But many will say, oh, I'm too busy with my cattle. I'm too busy with my house. I'm too busy with this. You can be too busy with your spouse. And God will mark your name out. Block the name out of the book of life, Revelation 3. 5. But he who overcomes... He will give the right to come and sit down in his house at his banqueting table. He's going to adorn you as his bride. He's invited us to be involved. Listen to me. 
He has an order. He has a word. He has direction. He's not looking for you to stand on a thumbtack and go, oh my goodness, if I mess up, I'll fall off and I'll die. He's looking for you to have a heart that desires to surrender and be faithful. And only he can put the faithfulness in you. He's the one that's given you the gift or the talent or the ability or the place. Everything is supplied. He is our supply. He furnishes our house. But you have to surrender to his working power in you. So here's her cry. Here's her dilemma. Here's her, oh my goodness, my husband suddenly died. Your servant. Oh, is that Bond's servant? Your servant, who is the son of the prophet, who's helping hand out the supplies and the truth of God, suddenly died. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. So he's, she's saying, Elisha, you knew his relationship and our relationship and the work we were doing for God. And now he's gone. And the creditor is coming. And he's going to take and make my sons slaves. You know what that would make her, don't you? Homeless and helpless. She would have nobody. Now, I'm going to read into the text, okay? Read into the text. Give you fair warning. I'm reading into the text. Since the next line doesn't say, put those boys to work, they'll pay the debt, I'm going to read into the text that they were too young to take care of mom at this time. They were in the house, but see, if they were old enough to help pay the debt, that's what, who would protect you is the children are supposed to take care of mom. So if they could work and actually earn money, there wouldn't be a problem here because they're supposed to take care of mom. I'm going to read into the text that they must not be old enough because Elisha didn't say, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Get those boys out there. They'll pay the debt. I'm just reading into it. You can take it any way you want. So Elisha says to her, what shall I do for you? Almost rhetorically, because he doesn't wait for her to say anything. He says, tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant, your handmaiden, has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Listen to me. What's in your house? What is in your house? Very important inventory statement. If you're going to be a steward of God, you have to decide what's in my house. Is it honoring to God? My physical house and then my spiritual house. What's in my spiritual house? Good question for us to look at and say, what am I harboring in my house? Now, let's go back to resources, though. Because notice, God could do it all. Just a big miracle. But what he's going to do is do training in the miracle. He's going to do supernatural in the natural but he's going to do training and teaching of the woman, which I believe represents probably the church as the bride that's going to bear fruit, the sons, that if they don't become empty vessels and allow the oil to be poured in the Holy Spirit, then they're going to have to pay a debt. The, debt, the, 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 the wages of sin is death. He's going to come and take them, and they'll be cast into hell. But if we do obey as empty vessels with the oil of God in us, then we can be transformed. But if we only obey a little bit and just believe, 
guess what? We probably won't get enough vessels, enough oil to actually receive rewards or to live off of. Watch this, watch, watch what happens. Now again, like I said, I'm reading in a little bit because of the content of the Word of God. Remember, the prophet brings the Word of God. Elisha's bringing the Word of God as he speaks in the Old Testament. This is where we would find that at. What shall I do for you? What's in your house? What do you have in your house? And she said, nothing. Listen, what you think is nothing, God is getting ready to use to do a miracle to take care of her and her kids and keep death from coming to their house, to keep homelessness from coming to their house. So you just need to be faithful with what you have in your house and be content where you're at. Don't count where you're at and what you have and the check you're making and, and the food you have in the refrigerator as nothing because it's all been provided by God. So gain some perspective here. If you're faithful with what little you have, God will give you more. But you have to be faithful and honor God in your worship. Listen, nothing... This oil is going to become her salvation. It's going to save her. This is going to become the oil of God, the Holy Spirit. Watch. Remember Moses? 40 years on Backside Seminary. He's there and he's married to Jethro or the, the Prince of Midian's daughter. And then he's out on the, in the back 40. He's chasing sheep around, old, crusty, a little bit mad. And he sees a bush on fire. He's like, what? The bush is on fire. It's not being consumed. And God said, take off your shoes here. It's holy ground. And then what does he do? He says, what do you have in your hand? Right here he says, what do you have in your house? To, to, to God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? And he's got this rod that he's been walking around and popping sheep in the head with. And he says, throw it on the ground. And it becomes the rod of God when he throws it down. When he surrenders just that rod to God... It becomes the rod of God. It turns into a serpent. And it becomes a miracle and a sign to Pharaoh and his house that God uses. Same thing here. What is in your house? You don't have to have the riches of the world. What you have to have is faithfulness and use what's in your house, physical and spiritual, to glorify God as a faithful steward. And God will use it as a miracle, not only to be a witness, not only to be a testimony, but it'll be a witness to your neighbors of how God takes care of all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So, nothing in my house, but. So what's in your house right now that God would use? What's in your spiritual house? What's the gift that he's given you? What's the thing that he called you to do? But a jar of oil. Now, why is that jar of oil there? These are good questions. I like you guys asking questions. Think about this. Contrast it with... Um, 1 Kings 17. Remember, Elijah's, Elijah's doing the pity party. He's saying he's the only guy serving God. Oh, all the prophets of Baal are dead, and I'm the only one left. And he's fleeing from Jezebel because Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you after he had that great Mount Carmel victory. And, and he's at the brook where God's got him, and the birds are dropping bread down on him. And then the brook dries up. He's like, I got food, I got water, now the water dried up because his eyes are still on himself. The water represents the Holy Spirit just like the oil does. 
So he goes, get up and go. I already got a woman that's going to provide for you. And he takes her, takes Elijah to a Gentile place. And there's a lady picking up sticks. She's gathering sticks. And he says, do you have anything in the house? Do you have any? And she says, just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And I'm gathering these sticks to make a cake. And me and my son's going to eat it and die. No hope. Death. This woman, this widow, no hope. Death. The debtor's coming, going to take my kids. And if she has no boys to raise up and work and take care of her, she's like a rusty knife in the drawer that gets thrown out in the garbage. Because women were slaves in every way possible until Christ sets them free in uh, this culture. So here's God taking care of her. They were like barn animals, women were. And Christ set them free. And then you know what happened? The government put them back in bondage. The government put them back in the tool shed. The government put them back to work. Pride and, and lack of faith put women back into every place that they shouldn't be when they're supposed to be cherished and nourished and loved and taken care of. And that doesn't account for those that have to do what they have to do because their husband is dead or left them or is a deadbeat. Um, so, nothing but oil. Where does it come from? What is it? Is it perfumed oil? Think about it. What if her death came because they hadn't planted? It was a sudden death. Read it into the text. Sorry. And in order to bury her husband, what did they do? They didn't do embalming. They wrapped them. They put perfume on it, oil. They put smelly oil on their bodies. So what if this is leftover oil? Or what if it's the oil that they had already bought while they were married and it's for her burial? But the only thing she has left is that jar of oil. It doesn't really matter where it comes from. She figures it's nothing. Is it the residue that's left over from burying her husband? Nothing in my house but this jar of oil. Is it fresh on her mind because of death? I don't know. But I know that it represents the Holy Spirit if you allow it to be poured out on your life. He involved her with this. What's in your house? God wants us to be involved. We are not to be pew setters. We're supposed to be involved in the gospel, getting it out, and the Holy Spirit will use us if we allow it. Then he said, verse 3, Go, isn't that funny how once we get oil, the Holy Spirit, that's the first thing that Jesus says to us is go, make disciples. Here he says, go, borrow. Now listen, the word borrow means to inquire, to request, and to ask. And, and, and I'm sorry, I like to read into the text. That's a basically what we do when we go and make disciples. We are going and asking. We're going and inquiring. We're going and sharing the gospel. And if the Holy Spirit's working in that person's life, they can get saved and become disciples. Go and borrow vessels from everywhere, all nations, from all your neighbors, the neighbors, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Go borrow these empty vessels. Later, these neighbors are going to be witnesses because they know her condition. They know what's going on 
in her life, and now she's coming, humbling herself, and borrowing empty vessels. But notice what he says, do not gather just a few. Don't be lazy. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed of what's going on because it's going to be a testimony. Do not despise small beginnings because God, if you're faithful, will raise it up for his glory. And listen, what are what about our neighbors? What about those around us? If they don't know Jesus, they are nothing more than empty vessels headed for death. And they, when they hear the gospel, can be filled with the oil and the Holy Spirit and come to life and become uh, witnesses for Christ also. So don't just go and say, oh, I want a couple people. I talked to a few people. We are supposed to not just gather a few. And then he says in four, which is interesting, and when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. So private matter, private miracle, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Now notice he's not just doing a miracle for her, it's the whole family. And if she obeys, she's training and teaching her family that God's promises are true. So she went from him and shut the door. Watch what she does. What she do? The word of God came to her. The prophet gives the word of God, and she obeyed. When you hear the word of God, the Bible tells us to do not be hearers only, but your excuse me. What's it say in uh, James one? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Listen, she wasn't supposed to just hear it. She cried out. She wanted help. She talked to Elisha. She wanted help. Are you lost? Yes. Looking for the chapter. We're still in chapter 4. Okay. Of 2 Kings, verse 4. Inside the home, close the door. Family, private, obeying the word of God. Verse 5, she went in from him, she obeyed, she shut the door behind her, and her sons were there who brought the vessels to her. Notice they're working, they're helping, they're doing their part in the house. They're being trained to learn to trust and have faith in God and obey the word of God that comes from the prophet of God. Now we have it all written down. It comes from here, and we draw near in relationship and listen and obey so that vessels can be filled with oil and come to salvation. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full, verse 6, that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased, or it stayed. Listen, it was just enough for all the vessels that they collected. Just enough. Now, what if they would have went to just a couple neighbors and just got two or three? Oh, here's enough, Mom. That's enough. Let's don't go anymore. But 
the, the instruction was do not gather just a few. Do not stop when you think you're okay. See, that's the problem in Christianity. People will, 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 will run the race for a minute. They'll, they'll say, oh, God is so good. And then you know what? As soon as they think they're doing better, they just kind of slow up. And instead of running the race, they start to jog. And then all of a sudden, they slow down and they ain't even running. And they don't even care. They just start going, oh, I'm going to trust in what I did the first day I said a prayer. That's why saying a prayer, just one, is so dangerous. Because then you begin to deceive yourself. And you stop running the race. You stop fighting with sin. You stop dealing and listening to God. You stop obeying the word of God. And listen, the oil dries up. We want to, and the Bible says in Ephesians 5, um, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Circumspectly means as diligently as you can. As a steward, moreover, it is required that a steward be found faithful. But then it says, be always be being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In other words, having fellowship. You're full of the Spirit. You have a fellowship with other people that are filled with the Spirit, and you're singing. You're making melody. You're encouraging one another. And then you're submitting to one another in the fear of God, it says. And then it goes on to say what? Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word, that he might present her to himself a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing. But he says, I speak a mystery, and I'm speaking of Christ and the church. See, mysteries have been uncovered in the spirit. God gives these things to us. He, he reveals them and takes the cover off of them and helps us to see the truth of the gospel. No more vessels. And the oil stayed, the King James, ceased, stayed. You know what that word is in the in the Hebrew? It's it's amazing to me. I'm like, that's pretty cool, God. The word for stayed that the oil stopped is the word for stand, which is the command of the Christian is to stand. That's our position as soldiers, as stewards, to stand. It means to abide and continue and to remain, to have a constancy after the vessel is full. To have a constancy in your faith, in your trust, that God is going to provide and bring, even if he has to do it with a miracle. But he wants you to be involved in the miracle. Notice Elisha is not in the room. Elisha is not there. Only the family's there, the mom and the two boys. Elisha is not there because God's the one doing the miracle. All Elisha is is a representative of God that brings the word of God, the testimony of God, the truth of God, who is trusting to be faithful to God. 
But notice that he, he, he doesn't even have to be in the room to know that God's faithful because God has told him the truth. Listen to me. God will complete the work he started in you to the day of Christ Jesus. But you have to trust him. You have to learn the word, build the love relationship, move from knowledge to love relationship to wisdom to faith. All of it is growing in that love relationship and the character and nature of God is growing in you as you stay in the word, prayer, and fellowship and learn to obey God. And as you allow the Holy Spirit to fill your empty vessel. Because if you, it, it, see, it, it, it's the same thing as if you don't keep coming back, your vessel's going to be empty again. Now, I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. That's not what I mean. But it reminds me of when Reminds me of when the boys, the disciples, I should say, the, the, the apostles, the A-team, they, they, Jesus was feeding 5,000, then he's feeding 4,000. And what did they do? They come to Jesus. What are we going to do? Send them away. They had no food. And he says, have them all sit down. we got four fish and six loaves, Jesus. Have them all sit down. So they went and they obeyed. They said, oh, you guys sit down. Sit down, 50 over here, 50 over here. Just, just sit down. And then they come back to Jesus. And Jesus broke the bread and the fish. He looked up and he gave it to them. And he says, give it to the people. And they went and gave it to the people. And they were all gluttoned is the, is the Greek word. They were so full. And then they still took up baskets of leftovers. But you have to keep coming back. You have to keep coming back. And you have to remember that apart from God, you can do nothing. That you are the empty vessel that the oil is being poured into. And you have to remember your neighbors, too, and be a witness to them. So now, uh, let's see, we're in verse, the oil stayed. So verse 7, so she got up, she ran off, she poured oil all over everything. She told her neighbors she had a whole lot of oil and she was starting an oil company. Oh, I'm sorry. That was the first flesh Elonians version. Second Kings. What did she do? Listen. Again, what I just said. Then she came and told the man of God. She came back to the word of God and said, Hey, we did what you said. We obeyed. We went out and borrowed all the vessels. We poured it in. We've got the whole house full of oil. And he said, see, he came back. She came back for more instructions. Go sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. So God supernaturally intervenes. The debt is paid. And then there's a residue, the rest, for them to live their life. And you can trust God for that. You can trust him for the residue. Now, I've I seen the rest, and I'm thinking that if, if we would have stayed in Hebrews 3 and 4, it's what he's talking about is rest. That if we're faithful, there remains a rest for those who are faithful in his household. And he goes on to say, don't harden your heart as the children of Israel harden their hearts in the wilderness, and they all lay dead. But it's not the same word for rest. This one just means uh, to just over or exceed. It's the remains. It's the residue. But I would like to tell you that when you ask God, when you look to Him for provision, when you cry out to God, 
He doesn't just give you what you ask for, but he gives you exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever hope for or ask. And he takes care of this lady. And maybe just till my read into the text again, till the sons are old enough to take care of her. And they can begin to work and take care of the way they're supposed to as children that would take care of their mom. Um, so um, that's only one miracle. Question What's in your house that you think is, oh, I don't have much to give to God? What's in your house that God can use and multiply to hand out to others? Are you being faithful with your house? Now your spiritual house. Is the Holy Spirit there? Is the oil of God there? Have you come empty and said, I'm empty? Here I am, broken, and I want to be used by you, God. Fill me up and hand me out to the neighbors. Let me be a witness to the neighbors. Let them see what you've done to take care of my needs. And are you returning? It's a constancy. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. The just shall walk by faith. Listen, God keeps all of his promises. I didn't even get to know my notes. set you free to follow and listen to the word of God and obey so that he can lead you to where he is seated out in heavenly places. That's our position, but in practicality, we're running a race. But as someone said, and I like it, so I stole it, most Christians are jogging. They're not running with intention. They're not running with a heart to obey. We're just jogging and having fun and playing in this race where we're supposed to be running to win. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, thank you that we can bear fruit. Thank you that if we surrender, that your spirit will fill up our empty vessels and lead us, guide us, teach us, Empower us to be witnesses. Thank you that your word says in Romans 8, 14, to as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God.